he came up and slapped me on the back and said, well done, Barry, you did good, you did good, extra good. And I said, where am I? <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's okay, you finished the race. He thought, I think I was a bit delirious, I think. He yeah, yeah, I was. yeah, most people are. <laughs> where am I? No, I said, no, what place have I finished in? <laughs> and then, you know, it was one of the great moments, which I've got on the, yeah. um, the golden hour. I yeah. said, it was one of the great moments of my life because he, he just looked at me and he said, Barry, you're in third place. You've got the bronze. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 30 of the Kiwi Running Show and Merry Christmas. Hope you all are having fantastic holidays and for those who are still at work slaving through the through the holiday period, I hope you are, are staying sane and still managing to get in plenty of running and for those who are on holiday, man, I hope you are exploring trails and, and new places to run all around the country and I've got to say, I'm, I've been spending Christmas in, in Wellington and um, summer kind of hasn't arrived here. I'm hoping that it, it perks up a little bit over the next few days. But anyway, this is our second instalment of the Barry McGee series and this one features all the, all the action from the Olympic years. So from 1960 onwards to about 1965, which was really one of the high watermarks of New Zealand running on the international stage. And, and I say that not just from a, a Kiwi perspective, um, but from a worldwide perspective. You know, we at this time, we had uh, many runners, most of whom were under the charges of Arthur Lydiard, who were really dominating the world of middle distance running and long distance running uh, in similar ways to what the Kenyans are doing now and in similar ways to what our rowers are doing now or our rugby players. So it was a special time in our in our history. Um, so enjoy hearing Barry's stories and we've got one more episode due next week uh, to cap off this series. All right, so here we are back again. Well, we, we haven't left because we're doing this all in one go. But you, the uh, listeners, yeah, are back again. Yeah, for, for episode number two of our, our Barry McGee um, close-up, shall we call it? The Barry Feature? McGee extended yeah. special yeah. Christmas close-up. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Um, and so last last week we had a very uh, amazing chat about um, about. Your, your upbringing and meeting Arthur and kind of that, that training really taking things to, to all new new levels, um, which eventually led to you go, getting to the Olympics in 1960 and, of course, a, a bronze medal in, in the marathon. But let's go back a, a couple of years and, and talk about how the Olympics became became a realistic goal in the picture um, rather than just a sort of a far off dream. So when did that, that kind of come on the horizon? I suppose it was always a dream. Yeah. Uh, for most, for many years, it was just a dream. Because <laughs> <No>, <Yeah. coughs> all the boys were trying to, trying out for him to, in 54 for Vancouver to start with. Yep. Vancouver. Um, some of the boys, Halbergs and Baileys all made the team. Yep. And Barry's sitting at home. He didn't make the team, 54. 
how, Commonwealth Games. Yeah. How close were you at that stage? Because you would have been still a young man in your very early 20s. 20. 20 years of 20 age. 20 years old. But, but I still got out and I had a go at trying to qualify for the Commonwealth Games in Vancouver yeah. in, at 20 years of age. Yeah. Where Halberg did qualify and, and Bailey did qualify and other yep. guys called Ernie Haskell and Jim Daly and yep. <coughs> Laurie King. They all qualified. Yep. And Barry sitting at home listening for the results. <laughs> yeah. So that was in that was 54. Then 56, two years later, mm-hmm. Melbourne Olympic Games. Yeah. So they're all trying again. Halberg makes the team, and um, some of the other guys make the team. Barry's missed the team again, failed yeah. again. <laughs> and did you get I, close? What, what event were you trying well, for? Probably, probably the six mile? Yeah, at 5K and 10K, yeah, okay. it would have been yeah. four. For, for that game, so yeah, would yeah. have been trying for, and <clears throat> I think I missed the qualifying time by fifteen seconds or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I gave it a go. I went to Wellington at one for a track meet there, and and um, missed it by fifteen seconds, something like that. And then I tried again in Auckland and missed it again over something, and so the times are always set, you know, for these games teams, you you know, and by qualifying if the time you select yourself really. Yeah. yeah, and I couldn't achieve the qualifying ties for those two, so I watched them go there. But in 1958, um, I gave it another go, and I qualified for the three mile and the six mile at the Commonwealth Games in 1958. Yep, and that, awesome. that was in Cardiff. In Cardiff, Wales. Yep, and that worked. That worked well for me. That I was half. I was a cripple over there. I'd strained. I'd strained two calf muscles oh, training no. in Wales before yep. the race, and went out, <coughs> but. That was a transforming time. I don't think the Rome and, and all the things that followed would have happened but for that happening in Cardiff yeah. with the fact that I realised then that these guys who were winning races and getting medals were no better than I was mm. and they were just as human as I was that all things were possible yeah. You know, if you set your goals and um, you gave it a crack. Yeah. So it was the learning hurting curve yeah. that um, changed me from thinking just New Zealand to the world. Yeah, and uh, cool. I'm not sure if Cardiff is the correct <coughs> games that I'm thinking of, but um, were Cardiff's the, the wrecking party games with uh, Bill Bailey leading the um, unscheduled demolition of the of the um, athlete village? <coughs> Well, Does that ring a bell, or am I? I haven't heard no, of this that, story. That was, that was the wrong games, but <laughs> yeah. we better not talk too much about Bill because, of, <laughs> I mean, he, he um, just about got the New Zealand team sent home in Tokyo. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, bowing, bowing to the emperor, yeah. and, and goodness, uh, yeah. no, Bill was the, Bill was the uh, the clown of, of the team in a sense. <laughs> a bit of a troublemaker. Uh, well, he'd do the ridiculous, and uh, he had no, you know, no inhibitions about whatever he did. Yeah, yeah. So that that was Bill Bailey, and uh, he he always played played the um, played up in those sorts of things. But no, it wasn't actually Cardiff, I think. Um, I think he missed the team. Oh yeah, Bailey missed a couple of teams because Bailey is one of the the greatest athletes ever. Yes, and yet Agreed. he 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 didn't achieve what he was capable of, mm. and um, because I mean one thing he had boils I think in one season where he's trying to qualify. Uh, yeah. Another thing he had something else that yeah. happened to him. Well, pulled muscles, strained muscles. Something we talked about on the show a couple of it's weeks a, ago was um, <clears throat> how many times you should race a season. And yeah. if I remember correctly, Bill Bailey was a, a prodigious racer. So he would mm. go and race indoors in the States. Um, 
often against the oh. advice of Lydiard, which... Um, well, no, that's right. He, yeah. he, he just, he, he loved racing. Mm. Um, even in an early season, I remember one season, uh, he won the Papakura 20-mile road race one week, yeah, and the next week he beat the Auckland champion over four forty. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, seven days later, yeah. that was Bill Bailey. Yeah, you know, there wasn't any any long term recovery from the twenty mile road race. Yeah, just, just bang, 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 and and that at times played against him. Yeah, but, um, but no, he, he's he's one of the great sportsmen of New Zealand. Yeah, and the funny oh, thing yes. is, his greatest ever year was when he was thirty one. Yes, when he won about twelve or thirteen internationals all over the world. Yeah, and um. By training slower and racing faster, ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but he was a he was a prodigious trainer. Yeah, and yep. um, so that's that's another story. But yeah, we've uh, gone <coughs> sidetracked. So after so, yes. we're fifty eight, fifty eight was Barry's learning curve. Yeah, uh, he could compete against others. Yeah, I think I was about eighth in the in the Commonwealth six mile, which was a, a pathetic race. Yeah. Uh, but then, then a week later, I ran again in the Commonwealth versus Great Britain six mile, mm-hmm. and I got fourth mm-hmm. in that. And I was just starting to get fit when we come home. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was a learning curve, and my confidence sort of doubled. Yeah. With, with even with failing on that that Commonwealth Games team, but I came home really a, a refreshed and yeah. and a really motivated runner, knowing yeah. that it was possible to beat some of the best in the world. Mm. Um, and I found out they were just as human as I was mm. and yeah. they weren't superstars way up there in the stratosphere somewhere mm. with us on planet Earth that um, they were beatable yeah. and uh, that was, the, that was the, the big learning curve and that paid off of course in Rome mm-hmm. uh, two years later Absolutely. And it seems that there's a bit of a theme like in the previous episode, you know, you talked about your ability to take take disappointments and use it as motivation to train more. So it seems like Cardiff might have been one of those one of those times where disappointment actually fueled your fueled your fire and, and I think it probably going. doubles it. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. Failure. Somehow something within you says, I know I can do better than that. I yeah. know I can do better than that. And you feel disappointed with yourself, and so your your training's increased. You've tra- you know your training has put more quality to it, or a few extra runs, and and then with Lydia around, of course, there was always the thought. I mean, the very thing that Arthur Lydia would say to me is, um, Barry, you know, every Sunday you you come over here on your push bike, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, park at his place and go and run twenty two miles. Did you know that Jeff runs it from his house, which is 25 miles? Yeah. And guess what Barry did the next week? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was running it from my house, and that made a 24-mile run. Yeah. yeah. Julian was doing it. He was one of the opposition. I needed to... I'd, <laughs> you yeah. can see how Arthur used yeah, this thing. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> but what, now, what, what it all boils down to is, you know, by 1958, we were the best conditioned runners in the world mm-hmm. and the best prepared. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean... Yeah. It was a bit of luck I could have got a medal at, at Cardiff, but for the fact that <coughs> the first the first track session we did on a cinder track, we'd never been on a cinder track before. Really? Wow. And they gave us and we got some new spikes. I'd never had spikes like that before. I went out the cinder track and had twenty two hundreds and thirty and I couldn't walk the next day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had wrecked both calves yeah. in the spikes. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> we'd ne- that was something completely new. Yeah. Funny thing is Halberg and Neville Scott and they they did it all, and they didn't. But for Barry, for some reason, my yeah. style 
Um, we, we I, wrecked, to I wrecked my legs. Up on their toes and sprinting, I guess, more or yeah. I, I still I still don't know exactly yeah. why mm. or how. Mm. I'd done it in flats, I would have been fine, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. The thing is with the spikes and no heel, mm. I suppose I'd, I'd strained the Achilles and calf combos. Yeah. And um that that was but that's a what you call a learning curve yeah it's a, i think most runners go through that experience yeah. of trying a new pair of shoes on race day or just out from a race and yeah, it, yeah. it's got to be called stupidity but we all do it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely we all do it and, and that's part of the learning the yeah. learning of life but by rome it was a whole different ball game um i'd had dave power come to new zealand yep. i think in about that year I'd yep. raced a three mile against him at um, <coughs> Olympic Stadium, Newmarket. Awesome. He'd be bronze medalist in the um, in the ten, in the ten thousand really at the, the Olympics. Yeah. And he was um, uh, he'd made the final of five thousand, and he beat me by a meter. Yeah. And wow. All these things sort of make a difference. But what we were, because the Lydia training, we were prepared. We were the best conditioned. We did the mileages. And uh, and lots of others, but Power trained very close to the way we did too. There was Albie Thomas and Power in, in Australia, yep. and um, and that and and the consequences of that was I qualified for Rome in the five thousand, the ten thousand, and the marathon. Yep. Wow! So yeah. that that was pretty awesome. Yeah, because to qualify for any one event is tough. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but I qualified for three. For Do you Rome. remember what those times were that you you hit for those qualifiers for each of those events? Uh, no, I can't. I can't remember all the qualifying times no. now. But um, <clears throat> at the time, they were sort of realistic. Yeah. And um, like say, we we equal the Olympic record in the New Zealand marathon champs. Wow. Yeah. Two twenty five. We we equal that. In the you know we run about two twenty three, two twenty fours, and two twenty fives in the New Zealand champs. Yeah. And so that made it automatic. The three guys would go to Rome in the marathon. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that so that um, yeah. But yeah. anyway, the times it was set for five and ten k, I managed. I yeah. got second. To, I think I might have won the New Zealand ten k or the time and um, second or the second to Alberg the five k. Yeah. <clears throat> but the times we ran in the Auckland champs. Um, yeah, or qualified. Um, but Lydia had decided that Barry should go for the marathon in yeah. Rome. And so yeah. you qualified for the marathon along with uh, Ray Puckett and Jeff Julian? Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Now, you, that would, the national championship would have been, I guess, the trial. Yes. So how did you three stack up at that national championship? <clears throat> well, in those years, Puckett won everything. Yep. Puckett was the, um, <clears throat> he was king of the road. Mm-hmm. In, in marathoning and uh, he was first in the New Zealand championship yeah and <clears throat> I was second yeah yeah and Julian was third yeah and so and we we're all Julian did 225 for third something like that and we were all in the in the New Zealand team then yep. virtually automatically because that equaled <laughs> the time that Mamoon had won the Olympic marathon in, at Melbourne was yes. about 225 yeah yeah wow. so um and Lydia decided that really Barry was more of a natural marathon runner yep. than track runner. Yeah. Mm. And as I'd said before, he, he, you know, he told me when I was 19, I was too slow for anything, anything short or yeah. short and fast. I was too slow for that. And distance was my, my yeah. forte. Yeah. And he started me off at 19 running 10Ks yeah. uh, at, for yeah. major events. 
because Halbergs and Baileys and Snells and I could run all the short stuff much mm. faster than I could. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, I was I never did win a, a New Zealand five k championship. Well, but in my you, history, you would have eventually, and I can't remember yeah. the exact statistics, but you you did become basically one of the top ten five k runners in the world at your peak. So I know you were you ended the year one year ranked second over over ten k. And your 5K must have been up there, I'm sure, in the top 10 in well, the world. You're, you're close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 1961. Yep. Ranked number two in the world for 5,000. For 5,000, wow. yep. There number one in the world for 10,000. Okay, yep. And first equal in the marathon. Yeah. Wow. All yep. in one year. Yeah. And that was 61. And 61, yep. that was yeah. the year. They say 60 was the glorious year. Yeah. Olympic bronze medal. Mm. And then three months later, went to Japan and was the first in... New Zealander to win an international marathon, won the Fukuoka International Marathon, yep. and the first runner in Asia to ever break two hours 20. Yep. So it wow. was a incredible. Then the following year, so I became um, around the marathon in March, New Zealand Championship 218, and that was fastest equal with, with a Japanese guy yep. in the world. And then we went on this European tour where we uh, where, yeah, won the World Games 10,000 metres in 28.50.8. Yeah, and um, that was a thirty-four second PB for Barry, yeah. beating the Olympic ten thousand bronze medalist from the year before. Yeah, he wow. was second. Really, and yeah. and a Kenyan guy who'd been about sixth in the Olympic ten thousand, he was third, and um, and then in this um, Halberg was attempting the world five thousand three mile record, and I was second to him in that in thirteen thirty nine, and that was the second fastest run in the world that year. Yeah, yeah. so. Joseph Romanos described that uh, when he wrote, um, like in Arthur's Boys, he said, um, no other Kiwi in New Zealand history has recorded actually a triple like that over three distances mm. and three events being ranked number one and two in the world. Yeah. And Barry, you did it. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph Romanos said, Barry, you are the most underrated athlete in the history of New Zealand sport. Yeah. yeah. That was, and now he's a very respected, you know, um, yeah. columnist yeah. in athletics. Yeah, you know, what and this said. is this comes from the kid who never scored a try on the wing. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. That's now <laughs> yes. let's step back to just yeah. the lead up to these um, Rome games. You know, Rome was the coming out party for for <laughs> Arthur's boys yes. and for the New Zealand distance Absolutely. runners. Yep. Now, in the lead up up to that, did. Did you guys as a group have a feeling that something that obviously you you knew you were on great form, you must have all known you were training well, but did you have any idea that it was gonna it was gonna be what what happened? Well, I think the person that did have the idea was Lydia. Yeah. <laughs> Lydia had the utmost confidence in his boys. And um, I mean, he had to talk to the New Zealand selectors to get Snell on the team to go to really? Rome. <laughs> Snell really didn't qualify, yeah. you know, in an A category at <laughs> all amazing. for getting to Rome. And Lydia rang the selectors. It couldn't happen these days, yeah. really, and, and say, look, this is going to be one of the best things you've ever done. If you put Snell in, he could really distinguish New Zealand and everything. Mm. And they had to take that risk, and they put him yeah, in. Yeah, what, what a decision. <laughs> 21 <laughs> years of age, he, he absolutely yeah. destroyed the world, beat the world record holder, the world champion, and broke the Olympic record <laughs> and won the gold medal. Amazing. But Lydia yeah. was the one. Um, 
I never, I never lined up in my life thinking I was going to kill them, I was going to dominate the race or win the race. I always took an attitude, I'm going to give it the best shot I can give today, yep. win or lose. So I always had that, that, that sort of attitude. Most, unu- most runners, well, that, uh, no, they've got expectations that 90% of the time they can't live up to. Yeah. Mm. I, never, I never went out with any expectations ever in anything. Um, and that worked for me because, yeah. you know, a, a lot of people at the Olympic Games, they're a, they're a nervous wreck on the starting line. Mm. Mm. Uh, some of them are vomiting, you know, 10 minutes before they have to race. It's yeah. such as, is the stress and the strain of being yeah. at big things. Mm. Um, with it, but Arthur's boys were generally pretty cool, calm and collected because he sort of believed in us so much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he told people for weeks before the Olympic 800 to watch Snell <laughs> reporters all over the world. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. And Halberg, um, as Murray says, sitting in the dressing room, he knew Arthur told him he could win the race. And he said, I looked around and there were 11 scared men in that dressing room waiting, you know, in the call-up room, waiting yeah. to go out on the track. And he said, I knew that um, they were all scared of me. Wow. Yeah. And that gave him the confidence to go out. But so I just, I went out in that Olympic. I couldn't wait for the race to start. I was <laughs> confident. I, I was um, keen. I was happy. And um, I, I was beating Puckett and Julian and all the training. I mean, we went out and did a time trial three weeks before the race over the course yeah. of two yeah. hours 29. Wow. Just a training run. Three yeah. guys out yeah. there. Two hours twenty nine. Yeah, <laughs> got times. And up. I bet battling traffic and all, all that. Well, it? even two twenty nine today yeah. is a pretty good race time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the marathon runners. <laughs> yeah, and, absolutely. Um, but such no, every everything clicked together for Roman, and as I say, Liddy had made history that day, mm. and so did Little New Zealand. Yeah, Little New Zealand was put on the athletic map for the first time in its history. Yeah, and in France they got a, a newspaper called the Quip. Mm. It's the leading sports paper of France. The whole front page was Snell and Halberg and a map in the wor- of the world where New Zealand was <laughs> yeah. Because most, most of the world didn't even know where so New Zealand literally is. literally put yeah. it on the so, map. Uh, but it was. It, it yeah. was the changing point in history in really great things happening. Yeah. And, and um, now the marathon was run in very hot weather, wasn't it? Um, so tell us a little bit about that that build up and I, I've heard a story about a singlet that um, got uh, got pulled apart and then put back together again. Um, so yeah, tell us about yeah, that famous, lead up to yeah, the race. That's a yeah. famous story from um, from that, and it still gets uh, it gets laughed at every time I show it. Yeah, uh, with it. But um, <clears throat> no, well the thing was, yeah, the, yeah, the Olympic marathon um, every day in Rome for four weeks was about 28 to 30 degrees. It was hot. Yeah. Out there. A week before the Olympic marathon, they had the cycling, 150-mile bike race. But, yeah, a Scandinavian runner died on the bike. Wow. Combination Just of from heat, heat, probably with drugs. Yeah. yeah. Probably with yeah. drugs. That combination killed him. Yeah. Mm. So about 20 or 30 athletic managers around the world all went to the Olympic Committee and said, if we run the marathon at two o'clock in the afternoon, like it was programmed oh. to do, someone will die. <laughs> so the first the thing afternoon. that they did, so okay, they changed it till five o'clock. 
and when we'd be running into the cooler part of the day in, in Rome. Yeah. But, um, but the amazing thing was the Saturday of the Olympic marathon was the first day it wasn't 30 degrees. Wow. <laughs> it was 23. Yeah. yeah. And so, the, yeah. so that was a miracle in itself. <laughs> but they started at 5 o'clock, and um, yeah, because of the heat, that's right, I, I had my, my black... New Zealand singlet, yeah, mm. and um, so because of the heat, I thought it would be a good idea if I cut some ventilation in it. Yeah, mm. so I cut about a dozen holes in the front of my black singlet. That's great. Yeah. Holes, or I suppose two centimeters wide. Yeah, yeah. I got the scissors out and chop, 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 chop. Yeah, um, that was about three days before the Olympic marathon, and then uh, yeah, a day or two before the Olympic marathon, these women came around with sewing machines to. Um, so our numbers on. Right? Yeah. I was number fifteen, number fifteen, and um, anyway, so I gave them the singlet and the numbers, and I got the singlet back. The number was neatly sewn on, and every hole had been sewn up. <laughs> <laughs> someone had sat there. It's someone, every every one of my I can show you. I'll show you the singlet. Yeah, and uh, it's famous because it's famous down in in Wellington too because of the Snell drama this, yeah that's this right year, yeah, yeah. With, with this fake singlet coming yeah. out of Snell's <laughs> yeah. and uh, they they, I mean Te Papa came and um, spent two or three hours here comparing yeah. it with my singlet from Tokyo and everything oh wow and oh, sorting course, out yeah. so the singlet's been a drama this year yeah and um, Snell's famous singlet the Barry singlet <laughs> is probably the most famous singlet in athletic history. Yeah, but it's the only it's the only singlet that, that has twelve holes cut in it for <laughs> ventilation. Yeah, and uh, but the miracle was I think we started in twenty three and finished in about seventeen degrees. Yeah, wow. so we're running into the cooler. Yeah, so there was no problem ideal, really. on the day whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. and um, and of course the race is history. Uh, yeah. that Olympic marathon is still recognised as perhaps the fourth greatest marathon of the century wow yeah there's a marathon book came out in 2000 with the hundreds best marathons of the century in it mm. and it's ranked yeah. number three or number four yeah the Rome first first time an african has ever won it yeah first time a man even bare feet had ever won it yeah. first time an ethiopian and uh, and it, and broke the world record at the same time yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's one of the most historical marathons to be taking part mm. in Absolutely. of all time yeah and, and um, what was the um the winner well, a BB Bikila. That's right. A BB Bikila. Yeah. And did Ethiopia. you did you have the chance to catch? Did he speak English? No, not, he no. didn't speak English. Yeah. Um, I only had the chance. You know, while we were waiting to, for the medal ceremony, mm. um, as Lord Burley presented our our medals, mm. yeah, at, and that was um, not in the stadium. Of course, it was run. Yeah. It started um, in the middle of Rome. Yeah. And it finished at the Arch of Constantine. Yes. And, and the medal ceremony was right beside the Arch of Constantine. Because, you know, Rome is such a picturesque city. It's got all these great places of um, and, uh, the Colosseums and everything. There's the yep. catacombs. It, it's a historical it's amazing, yeah. place. And, and, of course, TV was going to use it as a as a pictorial advertisement for the world. So they were disgusted, of course. Yeah, you're because running at night. Because about half the race was run in the dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. running down the Appian Way, you know, and they had, they had soldiers with flaming torches. There's no electric light <laughs> on the Appian Way in those days. Yeah. Every 100 metres on each side of the road was a soldier with a flaming torch. Wow. Yeah. That was the light we ran to, <laughs> flickering lights all yeah. over the place. Yeah. 
So it was, it was talked, it was historical almost, to the And that must have been almost surreal to be running in the biggest race of your yeah, life. Yeah. To torchlight and yeah. I understand that towards the end you didn't you didn't realise quite where you were in the field or you'd miscalculated. Yeah, well see you couldn't see. Yeah. Couldn't see. Yeah. I'd started off steady. Yeah. And because um, my theory my theory was that a marathon race doesn't start at about 32k. Yeah. <laughs> it's the last yeah. six miles, the last 10k that really counts. And so, <clears throat> I, you know, probably at, at the 10k mark, I'd have been about 25th, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, then slowly worked up, slowly worked up. And I was running with them, and there was a bunch of about eight of us in the race together. Yeah. And then seven, six, five, four, three. By yeah. the time we get to about the 32 or the 30k mark, there's only two of us. Yeah, that was the Russian champion Popov. Yep, and um, his European and, and Russian marathon championship and European record holder mm. for the marathon, and it was him and I together. Yeah, and about thirty-two k mark, there was a refreshment table, and he veered across to it to grab some water or whatever if he had a stacked drink there or whatever. Yeah, because you can put your drinks out, you know, you can, and um, so I took one glance at him and I took off. <laughs> and, and that's where apparently I went into third place uh, and, uh, yeah. we were running third equal apparently at that stage yep. uh, we'd just gone through we'd passed person after person after person I sort of thought of him as I, I was going along that's Kylie or something a British champion that's interesting and someone else and he's a, he's a someone else champion, French champion <laughs> that's <Yeah>. interesting <laughs> and um, I didn't know them really but I knew yeah, what yeah. they were and who they were yeah. And apparently we were in third, but, but you couldn't tell because by then it was about 28K, it got dark. Wow. Yeah. 27, 28K. And so um, <laughs> we hit the Appian Way with 10K to go. Barry just sprints and takes off, and I had no idea where I was. Mm. There was no, <laughs> yeah. I mean, on, long in the race, they called the 5K times, I think it was, mm. um, in Italian. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, okay. that's not much help when you only speak English yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, pronto, occasionally pronto. I yeah. looked at my wristwatch and saw that it was 20 past 6 or something <laughs> and worked it up, I've been running about an hour yeah. 20 yeah. because there's no such thing as a digital yeah. watch no, in those no Garmin days. GPS no Garmin GPS yeah, yeah. back then yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I, yeah, I occasionally looked at it I've been running an hour 40 or something yeah. um, just to give myself an idea and they did have the markers on the road yeah but, um, so, but I still didn't, I, I really didn't know. And I just went flat tacked that last six miles, the last 10K, and um, I never saw anyone and no one caught me, and yep. I caught nobody else. Yeah. And um, but, so I got the finishing line, and, um, <clears throat> did, and one of the hockey players, I think it was, jumped over the ropes that were, they had seating the last 400 metres, both sides, yeah. to make into a stand of this road leading up to this great arch of Constantine. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, he came up and slapped me on the back and said, well done, Barry, you did good, you did good, extra good. <laughs> and I said, uh, where am I? <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's okay, you finished the race. He thought, oh, I think I was a bit delirious, I think. He yeah, yeah. I was. yeah, most <laughs> people are. Where am I? No, I said... No, what place have I finished in? <laughs> and then, you know, it was one of the great moments, which I've got on the, yeah. um, the golden hour. I yeah. said, it was one of the great moments of my life because he, he just looked at me and he said, Barry, you're in third place. You've got the bronze. Yeah. Wow. Well, 
as we know, with Olympics, any medal is a great medal. Yeah. yeah. Probably the Commonwealth Games too. Any medal mm. yeah. is a great medal. I mean, Eliza McCartney and yeah. you know yeah. her bronze, the pole vault is great. Nick Willis's bronze is great. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but they're all great. You know, you're great to get a medal. Mm. And so that was that was you know a, a wonderful feeling of satisfaction. Absolutely. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Yep. Yeah, mission accomplished for New Zealand, for Barry, for everything. Yep. For Arthur. For well, Arthur. Yeah, yep. and especially after watching those uh, Commonwealth Games from home and, yep. and the, the previous Olympics. And, yeah. Well, and they didn't then... watch any Commonwealth Games from home because oh, there was no TV in <laughs> <Of> 58. <course>. <laughs> Listening <laughs> It was on just the coming out yeah. in yeah. about 60 watching or 61. Watching on YouTube. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, it's, yeah. you know, people will, will who, who are aware of you, will think, oh yes, so 1960 Olympic marathon bronze medal, crowning achievement, the end. But it wasn't the end. We've alluded to it before. 61 was actually probably... Well, they were the best four and five years of my running career. Yeah. Mm. Really from 24 to 30, about six years. Yeah. Um, Many ups and downs along the way. Mm. They weren't all, everything wasn't victorious. And uh, in fact, I ran the Tokyo Olympic in 64 with a stress fracture in my foot. Oh, no. And I'd, yeah. I'd trained for about 10 weeks on a stress fracture. Yeah, really. And at those days, they didn't know it was a stress fracture. Yeah. I yeah. just had this tremendous pain in the foot. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was, I think, a James Baxter or something at Glenn in his sports academy told me years later, he said, that, that was a stress fracture, Barry. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that pain, but I, I, I was still trying to run 100 miles a week yeah. <laughs> on a stress fracture. And I raced Tokyo, so you had these ups and the downs, and um, the good and the bad. But they were the greatest six years of my life, from twenty-four yep. to thirty years of age. Yeah, wow. And, um, it, it was fabulous track or marathons. Yeah, I mean those ten years, I think I lined up in about um, fifteen New Zealand track championships, mm-hmm. and um, I think it was something like um, you know five, five, about seven goals, yeah, you know, and about five. <laughs> or six about six silvers. Yeah, never missed a place in a New Zealand wow. track championship. Yeah, in ten years, and and it just got better and better, and and better. Yeah, awesome. Uh, such was the reward for the training and the coaching and yeah. the greatest coach in the world doing the greatest training in the world, and um, that made Kiwis for ten years virtually invincible when New Zealand ruled the distance in the middle distance world. Yeah. And the whole world was in awe of Kiwis. Yeah. It was incredible. And, you know, it was carried on by Walker, Quacks and Dixon. Yeah. Lorraine Moller. Yeah. And uh, Anne Ordain. Yeah. And the guys like Dave McKenzie's and and this world winning Boston and all in the... I mean, you read Dave McKenzie's story. um, Mm. Yeah, he's out there doing... Little West Coaster. You know, two hundred k a week was just ordinary for Dave McKenzie. Yeah. All yeah. on the Lydian way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially when you look back, you know, you joined Arthur at 51, 1951, and mm. then it's almost a decade later when you yeah. when you peaked. So it's that just those years and years of that mm. constant training in in and out. Um, my Olympic the medal. Done. My Olympic yeah. medal took eleven years to yeah. get. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's not an overnight success. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Halberg was a champion at, at 15. <laughs> Barry won his first, first Auckland championship at 20. Yeah. <laughs> I'd been living with Lydia for three years, running for five. So it was all slow and progressive. 
Mm. Yeah. It just got better and better and better. Yeah, yeah consistency all over time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it, it was an awesome era, and um, to be a runner in, and um, of course, it's such history now. Yeah. Um, but it is recognised all over the world as the greatest. There's never been a greater era for New Zealand. Yeah. As yeah. that nineteen about nineteen fifty four. About 1964. Yeah, well, I, I think it's fueled so many other sporting moments in New Zealand because we've yeah. got this. It, it's almost like a, a. I mean, I don't want to compare it to like a, a Gallipoli, but as as yeah. far as a nation forming um, mm. Mm. period well, of our yeah. existence, and we, we see it now yeah. with we've seen it with triathlon in its early mm. days, and we see it now with the mm. rowers that yeah. you know the Lydia's boys prove that you know we we can dominate the world um yeah you know. yeah and what's so, more it set up he what it did was the cycling and the rowing followed mm. all the lydiard principles yeah, correct. as did the canoeing with ferguson mm. and mcdonald yeah and yeah. I, i've heard i've heard one of them state that it was all attributed to lydiard wow that mm. their success mm. of umpteen gold medals and things was all based on lydiard training he had them conditioning up to 15 mile runs yeah. <laughs> big, like ferg to, yeah. to sit in a canoe and paddle it. Yeah. Yeah, but the wow. fitness you get from conditioning the Lydiard way, mm. and um, one of the last, a couple of years before Lydiard died, he told me, Barry, approximately half the world trains to our principles mm. these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, 50 years later, yeah. the Lydiard, he didn't say my principles, which he should have been saying. Yeah. Yeah. Such was Lydiard that it was our principles, mm, our okay. principles. Awesome. That shows the, the personality of the Lydiard man mm. that uh, he didn't really want the I. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted it to be us or <laughs> ours. Yeah. So it says a lot for Lydiard. Brilliant. And the privilege was that, you know, I had the privilege of conducting his funeral service when he died. Yeah. And yep. that was an absolute, you know, one of the great privileges of my life. Wow. To conduct that and to say this final farewell. And um, I think there were about 700 people turned up at the Auckland Town Hall. Yeah. yeah. And I asked the 700 people if they'd stand up and give this man a standing ovation because okay. he wouldn't accept it in human life. <laughs> yeah. And we did it at his funeral. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Murray McKinnon wrote in the New Zealand Herald it was one of the great moments of the funeral. Yeah. 700 yeah. people giving Lydia a standing ovation mm. because yeah. he, he found it very hard to accept <laughs> all, all, that, all glory yeah. that yeah. was due to him for what he did. Yeah. And I suppose his his athletes had their their share of standing ovations and um, yes. so accolades um, on the dice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. it's great that uh, the coach finally got um, got that recognition. And, oh um, yes, that's yeah. right. Well, I, I think I was about I was about sixty before I got my first one, mm. but I was at a <laughs> high school one day and I um, I showed them all my medals that I'd achieved in my running career. You know, the four by one mile world relay record and all those sorts of things yeah. that I'd done. Yeah. And then I brought out these two medals and I said, um, when I was 69, this is my gold medal for winning the M65 New Zealand 10,000 championship and this is the silver medal for getting second in the 5,000. Yeah. They all stood yeah. up and gave me a standing ovation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but this, old, this old guy at yeah, 69 yeah. still yeah. racing. Well, and so yeah. you, never, you never really stopped. Running, no, you, you ran at a very high level up until 30, yeah, yes. and then started at 12 
yeah, yep. and, and went to 69. Yeah. Got to remember, but I had a knee cartilage out when I was 42. Yeah. Surgeon said, that's the finish of your racing, Barry. Yeah. And um, I won love, never another 11 national titles yep. in the next 27 years <laughs> without a cartilage in my knee Fair on yeah. Aspros and aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, love yeah. It. Wow. So I just kept going. I just had fun and just enjoyed it all. Yeah. Now, through all those years where you had all that amazing success, um, obviously you would have been on a big Nike shoe contract and didn't have to work a day of your life. Was that the case or did you have to do the nine to five? Well, that would have been a dream. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, d- we did get a few Adidas shoes because there was no Nike. you got to remember oh, it was Lillian that yeah. said Bauman on yeah. when he came some years later yeah. to go and set up Nike. He mm. said, "Get into shoes, get Bill Bowman, get into shoes," and he set up. He helped to found uh, Nike, mm, but awesome. we got a few. We got a few. No contracts, no nothing. Yeah, no prize money. Now, well, um, in in fifty four years of my running, um, I think it was seven hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm guessing you was, you was my total under the uh, table, not declared to Athletics well, New Zealand, well, who would have. Probably banned yeah, you. Yes, so in those days, out. amateur was amateur. That's yeah. right. And um, that was the, and um, that was seven hundred really under the table. Mm. There for um, one of them was five hundred dollars just for just for competing. Well, it was the only t- time in my life I got something for st- a prize before with running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, that was when I was invited to the Coliseum yep. and racing the uh, um, their, their big um, international or big relays in, in the yep. Coliseum. Yep. Or all the interstates and that, and uh, in 1963, Peter and I were invited to that meeting, and and um, they gave me $500 for coming. Yep, <laughs> that was a I'd never had one dollar. Yeah. So yeah. Seven, 54 years of running, $700 was um, Barry's Barry's um, <laughs> income yeah. from running, <laughs> and it probably cost me. Um, yeah, I, I used to have to borrow from the bank every time I went away. Mm, enough wow. money to keep the family fed and pay the bills while I was away. Yep. So every time I'd come Massive back with you know, yeah, having yeah. to borrow another thousand pounds or something mm, and yeah. um, take me another 12 months to pay that off. I, I feel like that was the should, way we were. We should go and talk to the New Zealand Olympic Commission about this. I was just looking at the uh, numbers from High Performance Sport New Zealand. And yeah. For <laughs> Athletics New Zealand, each medal cost, I think it was $1.2 million is mm. their total investment that they gave for per medal mm-hmm. that Athletics New Zealand won. So yeah, yeah. I wonder if we can kind of go back retrospectively <laughs> yeah. and uh, make some kind of an application. Yeah. You well, good, good luck. Yeah. Halberg and Snell, when they won the gold medals in, in um, Rome, they, they wouldn't have been able to put together 100 pounds between them. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I... I yeah, Halberg at 20, 25, 26, 26 he was, and yeah. 21. Well, they, yeah. we, we, we had nothing. And we had nothing. Part of the shame is that, um, you know, you, you did really well to run very competitively mm. um, through a number of years, but mm. Snell retired relatively early. Yeah, he retired 65. Oh, no. 65 yeah, when yeah. he was, um, yeah. Yeah, he was twenty six. He know. retired then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This day and age, he would have, you know, 
gone on well, to compete is in multiple sort of 33 yeah. or something yeah. and yeah. Uh, mm. running as well as he's ever run in his life. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Now, then mm. again, Snell wanted to be the scientist then and, yeah, and get his yeah. PhD in human performance that you went to Dallas for yeah. in, Can in Kansas and Dallas and um, yeah, yeah. did it all that way. And you had your, your Foursquare. Um, and yeah. was it Mount Roskill? Um, Mount Roskill, yes. Yeah. Out of fourth year. Barry McGee's Four Square Food Market. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and how long did you have that? Uh, um, well, I was, you know, I was a grocer from um, the time I was about 15 years of age yeah. up till about 40 years of age. Wow. Yeah. So I spent about 25 years in the grocery trade. Cool. And just loving my customers and yeah. and having to get a relieving manager. See, I'd have, I'd have to borrow money to pay the relieving managers. Yeah. Yeah. Just, when I was at the Rome Olympics. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, uh, all that. So at Cardiff and, and Perth yeah. have to uh, have to put in a relieving manager. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and we just have to borrow the money to do it all on. So it's a whole different ball game. But so you did it because the head and the heart, really. Mm. Yeah. Nothing to do with the money. Yeah. Mm. Nick Willis, you know, we probably hasn't had to do a day's work in the last no. twelve years yeah. of his life. Mm. And uh, well, he's only just thinking of this sort of stuff now. Yes. Because he is. He's into his final four-year cycle. Right. And he's, yeah. Oh, yeah. What What will I do after this? <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a different world now. Well, he's got a master's yeah. degree from university yeah. in marketing, and um, yeah. and he's a wonderful speaker. Yeah. And uh, he will have no job trouble getting any work, oh, any yeah. job, any... Yeah. any I, I think the trouble will be... A, uh, it'll be a bit like job. Snell. We'll, have, we'll probably lose out on him in an international market. He'll he'll be in hot demand over in the States yeah, and that, elsewhere. That's right. so. mm. No, that, that's right. Yeah, we'd, mm. I think we'd be very lucky if he ever comes back to New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. We can't compete against uh, no. what they can offer. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, Thanks so much for sharing all that, that information about um, mm -hmm. your stories uh, through all those years of success. It really is, like we said, a, a, a foundational part of our, our heritage as a, as a running nation. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for your part that you've played in it. Mm -hmm. um, so the next episode, we're going to dig into your coaching because mm -hmm. uh, obviously when... Um, when the international running finished, it wasn't the end of your, your life and running. So mm. we'll, yeah. we'll get to that next week.